With a word of encouragement to keep on patiently reaching out, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. There are many people in your family not following God, but you individually are following Him. And it's through your individual faith that you now bring back that blessedness of the gospel into your family. And it's only a matter of time, I believe, with many in your family will come to know Jesus Christ. Many. It's just amazing as we're patient. The Bible says God's patience, His long-suffering is for salvation. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel with those in your family. Keep loving them to Jesus. This is amazing grace. The fact that God uses people to reach people not only points to the need to be attentive to those around us, but also to believe God can use you to reach them. Well, you can and God can, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In Romans chapter 11, we'll hear an example of being attentive to an audience and of God's desire and ability to reach that audience. It's inspiring, to say the least. Here to tell us all about it, beginning with some important background, is Pastor Ed. Well, in Romans chapter 9 and 10, there is that tragic truth of Israel as a nation rejecting their Messiah. And it's tragic when anyone rejects Jesus Christ, let alone the nation of Israel, the apple of God's eye. And it's a tragedy. John, in his gospel, would put it this way, in John chapter 1, verse 11, you can just jot it down. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, came to his own and his own did not receive him. And that is what's taking place in Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10. As Paul takes time out of teaching on the wonderful grace of God to the Gentiles and pauses and turns his attention to the Jew, teaching them about the wonderful grace of God. And it's with this tragic truth that there is also a glorious benefit. God is always able to take tragedy and bring good out of it. He's always able to take something horrible and dark and difficult, and when in his hands he can fashion and mold it, the Bible speaks of bringing beauty out of ashes. And it's no different with Israel's rejection of their Messiah. He takes this tragic truth, and there's a glorious benefit. What is that benefit? But the Gentiles now can enter into the family of God by faith. God turns his attention to the Gentiles, all those that are non-Jewish, shares the gospel with them, and Gentiles around the world get saved, including you. The great promise of salvation becomes available to whoever will believe, now both Jew and Gentile. But by the time we come to chapter 11, not only is there the tragedy of failure in chapter 9 and 10, but now in chapter 11, Paul says, listen, God is not done with the nation of Israel. Not at all that he will again turn his attention to his love for Israel and draw them as a nation to himself. Speaking of their future hope, he's not done. We'll pick up where we left off, sort of covering what we looked at last time in verse 13. It says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, 
For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, the root supports you. But you will say, then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. And don't you love Paul? I'm sure if you asked him to explain this, he's doing his best. I'm sure he would say something like, I'm using the least amount of words that I can possibly use to describe this. And even as he tries to use the least amount of words, you scratch your head and you go, hmm, what are you trying to say, Paul? What's your point? And I love this because he uses Old Testament symbolism that would be familiar to the Jew, and the Gentiles are learning it. I want you to notice before we get into the substance of this section, I want you to notice something real practical about Paul. And that is, as he's writing out this letter to the Romans, by the time you come to chapter 9, he remembers and he has on his heart the Jews in the audience. And so he'll pause and he'll set the Gentiles aside and he'll start to talk to the Jews. He remembers the Jews are not. But even in the section of 9, 10, and 11, right here in 11, as he's addressing the Jews, he says, oh, by the way, I'm talking to you Gentiles too. See, he doesn't forget his audience. He doesn't forget who he's surrounded by. He, he wants everyone that's reading the letter, he wants it to be applicable. He says, I know this is primarily to you Jews, but wait a minute, Gentiles, I want you guys to remember this. Or to the Gentiles he's writing, he says, I know this is to you, this glorious grace, and you've experienced it, but I don't want you guys to forget you Jews that are in the audience. And I see a great application for us as a church to not forget who is in our midst. Right here is a church. I mean, in our midst today is a great diversity of people from all types of backgrounds, from all types of upbringings, from all types of nationalities and races, all sorts of maturity levels, we are surrounded by the diversity that I think God desires in his church. And one of the great pieces of diversity is that there are new believers in our midst, and there are also new people to the church. Now, you remember what it was like when you were new to a church. You're so excited, you want to meet someone, God's ministering to your heart, and you come in with great anticipation. Unfortunately, if you've been here for a while, you may not have that same kind of anticipation anymore. You're like, well, you know, I found a church, I found a couple friends, I'm cool, I'm okay, I'm going to hang out with the people that I know, when all the while you're surrounded by people that are nervous, you're surrounded by people that are wondering, is this their church home? Is this where we're going to stay? Is this where we're going to raise our family? Is this where God would want us? And I believe for us that are walking in the Lord Jesus Christ, that are mature, we need to really be sensitive to those that are around us. I mean, let me just give you one specific example. Let's say during the time of Bible study as the gospel goes forth, that in your row, I mean two chairs down from you, as the invitation goes forward, they stand up. I mean, like they're right there. You can actually hear them. The rest of the room can't hear their prayer, but you're so close to them, you hear their prayer. You know, it would be good for you to go right over, two chairs over, and encourage them in the Lord. That was like God hookup for you. Of all the people in this place, of all the chairs to have someone get saved next to, it was you. 
and you can just kind of connect with them and say, you know what, at Calvary Aurora, anybody gets saved, we take them out to lunch, so let's go to lunch. <laughs> at my house, just come on over and hang out to connect. But see, no, what happens over the years is we're not excited anymore. Like we come in and out, in and out, in and out, and church or, or a gathering together, what God says not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, just becomes another line item in your schedule. You come in, you leave. You take in the word, or you sing a few songs, you go, well, you know what, I've done what I need to do. Or you might think, well, there are people in the church that already do that. There are the greeters and the ushers and, and the pastoral uh, folks and the prayer team members, and they'll take care of it. And I know some of you, just as a side note, some of you wonder, hey, you know, Ed, when you give that invitation, you don't always invite people up, you know, and you can't just let them go without somebody talking to them. And, and you're right. Sometimes I do forget to tell them to come up to the prayer team or to the pastors, but I want to let you in on something just so you know. The prayer team folks here and the pastors, well, we have been trained to catch new believers before they leave out the door. Did you know that? That as the invitation goes forward, there are people throughout the room that their eyes are open looking for people who respond to the message. And just in case they don't walk up, we chase them out the door. No. <laughs> so that all bases are covered here. You know, maybe they'll come up. Maybe they're too, too timid to come up. So we'll catch them before they leave out the door. And by the way, if you get saved today, we moved your car. So you're going to see you walking around in the parking lot, man. We know who you are. But there's that ministry of not forgetting who we're among. There's that desire to say, you know, Lord, I wonder what you're going to do with me today. I wonder who you're going to bring into my life today. Paul here, he's writing, and he's going back and forth, remembering the audience, remembering there are people listening that he's not directly speaking to, and he pauses. He says, oh, by the way, Gentiles, I know I'm writing about the Jews, but I want just keep tracking with me, Gentiles. You guys, he says in verse 17, you Gentiles are a wild olive tree, a wild olive tree. The olive tree is a picture, a Bible picture of the nation of Israel. It's the mainstay of the Middle Eastern economy today. And in verse 17, the Gentiles, the church is referred to as this wild olive tree. That, notice, was grafted in among them and became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. We get to enjoy all the blessed benefits of God as God does this wonderful work of grafting us in to that olive tree. Olive trees are known to last a long time. I mean, there's one that they have in the Garden of Gethsemane today that they estimate is over 1,800 years old. They just last and last. They go on and on and on and on. The problem with longevity, though, for an olive tree is that at some point it ceases to become fruitful. It doesn't bear fruit anymore. And so those branches that don't bear fruit are cut off. And new, fresh, young branches are grafted in. And by the time you see that olive tree begin to bear fruit again, you can't tell which branch is which. And God, that wonderful gardener, he warns and he grafts. Flip over to Jeremiah chapter 11. You see, with the nation of Israel, they were warned what would happen to them if they rejected their Messiah. They were warned, they were told, it wasn't a surprise. He uses this very same picture years earlier as God warns the people what would happen. Draw your attention, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16. Jeremiah 11, verse 16. A little bit over in the Old Testament to your left. Jeremiah chapter 11, 
verse 16. It says, The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. And so God said, listen, nation, if you reject me, you're going to be cut off. That's just the way it is. And Paul says the same thing. He says in verse 20, he says, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Don't be haughty, but fear. So as Gentiles, non-Jewish people, we've been grafted into the family of God by faith, by God himself. But Paul says, don't let that get to your head, that God is blessing the church today, that he's blessing you as a believer, your home, your family. You're in the season right now where it just seems like everything is going well and wonderful. Don't be prideful. Don't take credit for it. Don't begin to think it's because your great devotional life, your great prayer life, your great ministry and service, although all of them might be great, 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 don't be prideful. You stand, I want you to mark this in verse 20, you stand by faith, not by your works. God is able to make you stand because you believe, you trust, we hold on. And you know, this section of Scripture, as well as many other, reminds us that for us as Christians, or for any person for that matter, it's impossible for a Christian to be anti-Semitic. It's just impossible. That's not the heart of God at all. It's not the heart of God in prejudice, period, let alone toward the Jews. But that is the wave around the world today, is it not? We live in an anti-Semitic that phrase just simply means anti-Jew world. And it seems that everyone is against them. Well, as Christians, we support them because they support us in the economy of God. They're the root, Paul says, that supports the church that's been grafted into the family of God. Now, notice verse 17. Again, I want you to see this as we work through these verses. It says, and if some, circle that word some, we want to be careful at some of these words, and this is one of them. The word some, this is key. It says, some were broken off, not all. There's always been a believing remnant in Israel. There's always been a believing group in Israel. Many Jews believed in Jesus Christ. The early church, remember, was predominantly made up of Jews until Peter was sent to Cornelius, and then God exploded on the Gentile world. And so some of them were cut, broken off, but not all of them. And God is still doing a work among the Jews today. Individual Jews every day of the week are still getting saved today as they embrace their Messiah, the Messiah that was given to them, their Jewish Messiah. And so some of them, not all of them, as a nation as a whole they reject, but individuals, well, they're saved. It's a lot like families where you may come from a family that wholesale, big picture, has rejected God, but you haven't. Individually, you've embraced. I mean, you're in an unequally yoked situation where that's how you got married, that's how you had kids, you weren't living for the things of the Lord, but your heart individually got saved. You were touched by him. You commit your life to him. So as a whole, there are many people in your family not following God, but you individually are following him. Same picture here. And it's through your individual faith that you now bring back 
that blessedness of the gospel into your family, and it's only a matter of time, I believe, when many in your family will come to know Jesus Christ. Many. It's just amazing as we're patient. The Bible says God's patience, his long-suffering is for salvation. Don't, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel with those in your family. Keep loving them to Jesus. Verse 22 now he says, Therefore, this is his conclusion, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Cut off? I want you to be careful with this verse. If taken out of context, you could easily live your life in some kind of irrational fear that God might cut you off at the very next mistake that you make. Like God is taking notes on your life, right? You can get the picture. He's got this big note. For some of you, he's got a bigger notebook than others, right? And he's just writing all your failures in it, all your mistakes in it. And he's got that last page. All the pages in his notebook are white until he gets to the red one. And when he writes one failure on the red one, you're cut off. Not so. Not so at all. I mean, Israel's the picture, even though they are what you could call a human failure in rejecting their Messiah, God hasn't rejected them. There will be a time when they will return and when they will repent. I mean, some even go to the conclusion in defining cut off as losing their salvation. And you might live a life, well, you know what? I, I could lose my salvation tomorrow. After what I did yesterday, I don't know if I'm still saved. And although I think there's a healthiness in examining yourself in the faith to make sure that you're saved, that's not what this is teaching. God teaches great security to us. He gives that to us in Jesus Christ. I just want you to see the context here. Who was cut off? Well, notice in verse 20, those that were cut off were cut off because of what does your Bible say? Unbelief. Those that don't believe are cut off. Those that stand by faith are not. That's the essence. Those Jews that embraced their Messiah weren't cut off. Just some of the branches, the branches that were in unbelief. But those that embraced Jesus Christ, they weren't cut off. They were received. They got saved. They embraced their Messiah. You know, I think verse 22 is rather an evangelistic insert by Paul here. Not intended to be used to make you leave here in fear and trepidation and, oh, I don't know if God's going to cut me off today, but rather, I think it's an evangelistic insert. It's just Paul always inserting the gospel where he can, where he says, hey, those that might be hearing who aren't saved, if you receive the grace of God like those that receive the grace of God, you will be saved. And so because I believe Paul's inserting this as an evangelistic insert, it'd be a great time to let you know that those of you that are here that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the same is true for you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, you believe first and foremost that sin has devastated your life. I know that's a hard thing to admit because you might be in a real good place right now. Like whenever sin is talked about, it's always relegated into present circumstances. So if you're really struggling right now, then you're more apt to receive the truth of sin than if things are going really well for you right now. But I like, I like to ask you, just set aside whether things are going well for you or not and understand that the Bible says across the board, 100%, every human being, everyone that's drawing a breath on the earth today has been touched and tainted by sin. doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. 
whether things are good or bad, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us live up to the glory of God. And because of sin, this relationship between creator and those that were created has been broken and severed and crushed and destroyed. But God didn't leave us in that condition. He made a way of escape for us. He built a bridge to those that have been devastated and destroyed by sin. And that bridge is his own son, Jesus Christ, who came, God, fully God in human flesh, who lived a life of perfect humanity, who died a death in perfect humanity, and rose again the third day. He rose again. Jesus Christ is alive today, drawing you to himself through the power of his spirit. And so even as Paul says this, he says, hey, remember the goodness. I want you to consider the goodness of God, that he's given you opportunity to be saved today, and the severity of God, that if you die in your sins, you will live eternally apart from God. The judgment of God will be in your life eternally. He says, consider that. Think it through. God's goodness, severity, judgment. You see, the judgment of God can either be placed on you or on his son, Jesus Christ. That by faith, you receive the salvation of your soul through Jesus and all that he's done. And in just a few moments, you'll have an opportunity to respond to an invitation, to a call, to a cry, if you will. Won't you be saved today? What are you waiting for? What is holding you back? Why are you resisting? What is it about Jesus that doesn't captivate you? that doesn't melt your heart? What is it about the changed lives around you? You know, often at this point, there'll be people that immediately in their mind, they'll shift in their mind. I'm talking about Jesus right now. And they'll shift in their mind to Christians. Well, this Christian hurt me. Or this church did this to me. Or I can't live in a hypocritical church environment. And you miss the whole point completely. Because if you examine your own life personally, I'm sure, even as an unbeliever, you've hurt people along the way. But you still want people to love you and extend grace to you, right? I'm sure that there are lives here where there's times in your life where if you examine it close enough, you would see a little bit of hypocrisy in your life. Not someone else's life, your own life, where you said one thing and you did something else, and and it's not like you really meant to, but you did it, and now you can't undo it, but you still desire people to love you and give you a fair shake. And so to bring Christians into the mix, you know, God is working on all of our lives. And like I mentioned earlier in the diversity here, there's a lot of changes going on. And it could just be that when you want to give up on that one guy and that one gal, one more day, one more day is going to bring great change in their lives. And so when you think of salvation, don't immediately try to dismiss the love of Jesus Christ because of those that are following him, because we're still very imperfect people. There's still many ups and downs. I mean, there's still dumb things that come out of our mouths. There's still times where we don't follow through, whatever it might be. But oh, how good God is to encourage us and help us through these issues. See, the thing with a Christian, though, about those issues in our lives, you know what the difference is now is that we actually notice them and we care and we like run to the throne room of God and ask for forgiveness. And you're like, oh, I just got busted on being a hypocrite, Lord. And just saying that word, I'm a hypocrite. It's a lot easier to say you're a hypocrite, right? Right? Isn't it easier? I'm not pointing at you, but isn't it easier? (laughs) But to come into a prayer closet and say, I'm a hypocrite, you know what you'll find? You'll find grace and help in time of need. Indeed, 
you too can be assured of God's abounding grace. Jesus died on a cross to give it to you. You need only humbly ask for it. More on this saving grace for Jew and Gentile as we continue in Romans next time on Abounding Grace. We're going through Romans right now. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found by searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 